I'm a child of God. <clears throat> I have in my hand powerful Word of God. can change lives, heal broken hearts, <clears throat> save man's soul. Lord Jesus, today, speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Look at your neighbor and tell them how much you love them. Thank you. Amen. Amen. When you feel that finger, <laughs> when you feel that finger, you better do something about it. After. Hallelujah. Thank you, sister. Yes. Okay, here we go. Well, there you go. What's that friend's name? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. There you go. That's awesome, isn't it? Just look around you. His finger's going to start stirring. <laughs> uh oh, yes, ma'am. Awesome. Thanks. Thank you. Amen. A couple of ladies have indicated that they might be interested in helping with that. So that's awesome. Thanks, Sean. That's awesome. 
I'll, I'll hold up what God's speaking through you. Anybody else? Come on. Don't be shy. All right. Hallelujah. So good morning, church. How are you? Good. I'm great. Did I tell you I'm going to have a grand uh, granddaughter in uh, August? Just thought I'd mention that to you again. I'm not going to have puppies. We're going to have a granddaughter. So, <clears throat> Yes, it's a granddaughter. We'll be having another. Uh, and so we'll be... Uh, this is supposed to be the twins, yeah. Well, it didn't happen. So, <laughs> but see, Megan didn't deserve it. Corey, yeah, but Megan, she hadn't done anything to him. All right, never mind. No, this is Corey. Yeah. No, Corey. Mark and Amy would like to have a child. They've they've been they're trying, but uh, Corey's Corey's next, and then Mark and Amy will be next, and and that'll be great. It's uh, it's awesome. Everybody told me that grandkids were the best thing that ever happened to you. I didn't have any idea until we had some. I agree 100%. If I'd have known there had been this much fun, we'd have started with them. That's it. <laughs> Last week, uh, we studied the life of Moses. We learned how a creative mom uh, and the providence of God can work together. And God protected Moses from a very young age, ended up in Pharaoh's palace. When he was older, he found out he was an Israelite by birth. And uh, he was visiting the Israelites at one point and saw an Egyptian man mistreating one of the Israelite slaves. And Moses uh, killed him. And then he fled for 40 years. He was on the run and living in a a life of hiding. And during that time, God called him and he spoke to him in an unusual way through a burning bush. And the message was, you're going to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. And Moses, of course, said, not me. (laughs) I'm not the right guy. And God said, oh, yes, you're the right guy. And God then empowered him with incredible things. Ten plagues, Pharaoh's heart softened after the last one because his oldest son died as well as lots of Egyptian sons died. And this huge crowd of Israelites were freed only to get to the Red Sea and be hemmed in and God did another miracle and he parted the Red Sea so that the Israelites could walk across on dry land. Three months later, we pick up the story from there in the book of Exodus. We find that the Israelites are gathered together. And in Exodus chapter 19, verses 4 through 6, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully, And keep my covenant. I want you to underline that in your outline, by the way. Underline that. Then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. If you obey me fully and keep my covenant. Now covenant's a little strong, isn't it? 
A covenant means that you're going to... There's two pieces to that. Both parties agree to the covenant. When a man and a woman marry each other, they're agreeing to a covenant between each other. Till death do they part. Not till you get tired of each other. Not till you get overweight from what you used to look like. Not to where you get sick and you can't get well again. So death do you part. Amen? Amen. Have you agree with that? Raise your, let me see your hands. God's watching. So. so God's saying to His people, I want to advance my plan to get you back because ever since the Garden of Eden, God's been trying to get His people back. He's worked hard. And He's continuing to work hard. But He's telling them, I want to give you some guidelines to live by and, I want you, and, and then I want to come down and I want to live with you. First time since the Garden of Eden that God now is saying, I want to come back and live among you. There's a huge transitional point in our story today in the Bible itself. This is a huge pivotal point. God's not going to interact with certain individuals or just talk to a few people. He will begin to share life with all of His people for the first time since the Garden of Eden. Isn't that awesome? But for me to do this, says the Lord, there are some things that you have, you and I have to work out. God wants the Israelites to make some serious commitments so that they have some skin in the game. So He invites Moses to come up to Mount Sinai and He verbalizes these Ten Commandments and Give some more guidance of things that are important. Moses comes down from the mountain, shares the commandments of, that God said uh, has said that he and Aaron should follow. And it's a huge crowd of Israelites. And they all say in one voice, everything the Lord says, everything that He has said, we will do. Everything the Lord has said, we will do. Now they said that with a loud voice. We are going to covenant and make a commitment to you, God. Everything you say we will do. So what's about to take place is the next step. God writing down these covenants, these commandments, and the Israelites making a new agreement with God, the God who led them out of slavery in Egypt. But I want you to see two areas that God talked to them about. It's the same thing that applies to us also today. The first one is, he wanted to create a standard for people to follow. He wanted to create a standard for people to follow. God has kept His promise to Abraham. All the way back in Genesis 12, God promised that He would build a great nation. And now here stands Israel, free from Egypt at the base of Mount Sinai. They're ready to truly become a great nation. I mean, you had Isaac, and now you've got two to three million God kept His promise, didn't He? He asked for them to make ten promises to Him from the top of Mount Sinai. God looks out over His nation and like any father, He's proud. Like any father, He wants the best for His children. So God is going to give Moses a couple of stone tablets on which He Himself has written the Ten Commandments. Can you imagine being there and watching the finger of God Right in that stone. Now, if you if you watched 
the Ten Commandments on TV was Charlton Heston as Moses. You saw God would say it and then it would just burn into the rock, right? I don't know if that's how it happened. But can you imagine witnessing that? That's amazing. So Moses ascends the mountain and leaves his brother Aaron back behind to watch over the huge flock of folks until he returns and God is hidden from the people. He's in this dense cloud. They can't see him. This man is in the presence of Almighty God. And at this time, God is going to handwrite those commands and give them to Moses. But meanwhile, back at the ranch, so to speak, guess what's going on? You won't won't really believe it because they were in a, a massive prayer meeting calling down the Holy Spirit to fill them with God's love and God's power so that they could go out and proclaim the gospel Amen? Well, not quite. No, not quite. They were becoming impatient. One week became two. Two weeks became three. All sorts of questions. Hey, where's Moses? Is he still alive? Is he ever coming back? Forty days it passes before Moses comes back. They start to doubt God, especially God's plan for them to be safe. So in Exodus chapter 32, it tells us the Israelites say to Aaron, Hey, make us a God in some type of a form. In other words, give us some type of an image that we can worship. So Aaron, the brother of Moses, the mouthpiece that God said would speak on my behalf to Pharaoh, that same guy says, I've got an idea. Let's have every man and woman bring me your golden earrings and we'll melt down the gold. And so they did that. And then Aaron fashioned a mold that was in the shape of a young cow and he poured the gold into the mold. Then he said, this is your God. This is your God who brought you out of Egypt. So how does something like that happen? Just in a 40 day period. They had plenty of idols in Egypt, images in Egypt to worship. But now is their chance to make their own idols. It's really unbelievable. And that this plan came as a brain child from the man who had spoke to Pharaoh. Aaron was on the front row. He saw things that no one else really saw. (coughs) Every miracle he was there. He was the last person who should get involved in such blatant a sin. And the people, as for the people who go along with with it, they're the same people who just days before saw God doing something mighty with the Red Sea, and they said, everything the Lord has spoken, we will do. But don't be surprised. Because even today, I still see people who give the Lord honor with their lips, not so much with their lives. We get on our little high horses. Whatever reason, some might be thinking, well, if you melt the gold from some earrings, you're not going to get a very big cow. Well, you've got to remember that Conservative estimates put the Israelites at over 2 million people. And the Egyptians 
gave these folks all their gold because they said, just get out. They were, they were fearful of God's power. So Moses comes down from the mountain. He gets halfway down. He begins to hear music and he hears drums. <laughs> and he rec- recognizes and realizes that they're just having this huge party down at the bottom of the, of the mountain. And the closer he gets, he sees the golden calf. He sees the wild party. And I mean wild. There's no telling what's going on. And in a fit of rage, takes the two tablets, the commandments that God had written, throws them down to the ground, shatters them. What a picture of anger and disappointment. Whenever you get angry and that emotion takes over, it creates other problems. I'll hold my hand up first. Amen? Amen. And when confronted by Moses, Aaron says in Exodus 32, you know how evil these people can be, Moses. I mean, they wanted to worship an image of a god. So I had them collect their gold. Now listen to his lame excuse in verse 24. So I told them, whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. Then they gave me the gold and I threw it into the fire. And out comes this calf. Sounds like an excuse that a six-year-old would float past their parents. A young man was arrested for stealing his parents' car. He was going to drive to his grandparents, I believe it was, and he got, he got um, not very far from his house, drove the car off in a ditch. The police showed up and he says, I'm just a dwarf without my driver's license. <laughs> Kid was 10 years old. He says, I, I'm just a dwarf without my driver's license. But here's what I want you to see. The sad irony of this particular part of the story is while God is writing out the Ten Commandments, delivering them to Moses, the Israelites are breaking the first two. You will have no other gods before me and you will not worship or make any graven images. And as he's writing them down, they're breaking them down at the bottom of the mountain. So the Bible says that Moses burned the calf, melted it down, and he poured it into their water supply and you know, they're in the deserts of Sinai, so they didn't have a whole lot of water. But every person then had to drink metallic water. It's the ancient equivalent of mom washing your mouth out with soap. I'll raise my hand first. Anybody else have that happen to them? I had it happen to, to me by a second grade teacher in a public school. I could have had her sued, boy. If we were, if this happened today, but back then, <laughs> grab me by the ear and back to the back while all the kids watched and good old ivory soap. Here we go. But that's really nothing compared to what Moses looks at the Israelites. And he says, "Who's on my side? Who's on God's side?" And all the Levites, tribe of Levi, that's where the preachers come from. They run to Moses' side because they realize (laughs) we blew it. You ever been caught in sin so much you had to run to God? But you took a little while to get there because you were afraid to face the music? Yeah. I used to think I could hide my sin as long as I was under a tree somewhere God couldn't see me. Amen? I I didn't realize that He could look through the leaves and see it all. 
But even though the Levites ran to Moses' side, they were still, many, many were continuing in the idolatry and some kept partying, but they were about to be judged for their lack of allegiance. And in chapter 32, verses 27 and 28, it says, Then Moses said to them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, Each man strap a sword to his side, go back and forth through the camp from one end to the other, each killing his brother and friend and neighbor, and the Levites did as Moses commanded, and that day about 3,000 of the people died. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a confusing verse to me. Why would God kill His own people? But then I remember about my own life every day. I have to kill something every day. That's the sin in my own life. I've got to, I've got to hunt it down, and I've got to kill it. Because, see, I have to take captive every thought According to 2 Corinthians 10. You see, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I crucify myself daily. That's a death, folks. Are you with me? So it doesn't make sense that this would happen among God's people. However, I realize that I'm doing it daily my own self. I have to do it if I'm going to be purified and holy and blameless before Almighty God. I got to work on getting getting rid of the sin in my life. So the Levites end up becoming the tribe that God designates as the spiritual leaders and the priests, partly because of their obedience to Moses right here. But 3,000 of their own people killed by their own people. Sounds harsh. But you got to get this. You really have to understand it sounds so harsh to us because we don't tend to understand the seriousness of sin. If God were operating still under the old covenant the way He used to, most of us would have already been slain a long time ago. Because we make all kinds of promises that we never keep. I'll raise my hand first. Anybody want to join me? Yes. We make promises that we don't keep. We tell God, oh God, if you will, I will. He does and we go brain dead. Are you sure I said it that way, God? I'm not. I don't remember that conversation. How convenient. But God never forgets. It grieves Him. I think He cries. Sin is breaking faith with God. It's adultery against God. And throughout the Old Testament, God uses this analogy of the marriage vow about how uh, he is the bride and how there is this marriage relationship with Israel. So now Moses has to go back up the mountain and get a replacement set of commandments. And God gives him the exact same list. He didn't change anything. And he didn't give him, well, let me give you ten suggestions. He said ten commandments. Go down and live this way. Wow. First Five deal with the, our relationship with God and the next five deal with our relationship with each other. What would our world look like if we would just simply operate by those ten? Every day. How about where you work? Wouldn't that be awesome? You have no other gods before me. Whoop. Throw out your TV. Whoop. <laughs> Get the computer out of there. Whoop. Cell phone. Whoop. You see, the cell phones now are just a little computer in your hand. That's it. You can see everything, do everything, go anywhere you want to go, just off of your phone. Amen? 
You can see stuff on your phone that you never, ever were allowed to see anywhere, anytime, anyplace. You can see them on your phone. In fact, they call you and say, here I am. I guess it would be like recapping what happened. I got a video I want you to see. It's really interesting. Let's take a look. Come back, come back. There he is. Left corner, brother, left corner. There we go. That's not good. We didn't want to see it anyway, did we? Hit escape and see what happens. Now double click on it and see what happens. Just double click right in there somewhere. No. Well, I'll tell you what. We're just going to keep on going. I wish you could have seen that. It's really good. It's a modern day version of how a guy would present the Ten Commandments. How about if I just read it to you? The desert sand whirls with the wind carried by cries of distant Egyptian echoes. The Red Sea long closed. A voice rich and flowing like heaven's fountain calls from the smoke-covered mountain. You have seen what I have done, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Israel's eyes have cried a wealth of tears through countless lost years. But now she's free. Free from Pharaoh's orders, free from Egypt's borders, free from the slave work of brick and mortar. For these slaves have been their creator, command his creation. And now this God has chosen them to be his holy nation. If you keep my covenant and follow my enunciations. So this people with one voice raise their shouts to the skies of endless blue. Everything the Lord has spoken, we will do. This promise offered like a bouquet to God from His chosen few came from all Israel, meaning every single Jew was entering into a new covenant. But none of them could fathom what this promise meant, for they were promising to be steadfast, to abandon their past. And no matter what God asked, no matter the test or request, they had pledged to answer yes. Now this was so much more than Mere obedience, more than sheer compliance for this covenant ensured their entire reliance on God alone for the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. The great I Am seated on heaven's throne was building a home within significant Israel. So God posted some house rules to protect His own children, to set apart His holy brethren. And from this intention to hold the world in the kingdom intention came the intended commandments of ten. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt out of slavery. So you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make any idol for worshiping. You shall not take my name in vain or make it empty. You shall remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. The tens first four at their very core say with no facade that our God is a jealous God. That there is no golden calf. No idol has half, half as glorious as our Lord. For what more could we strive? But the ten began... With honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not be an adulterer. We are meant to worship God as master and serve Him only. But how are we to relate to one another in a way 
that is holy. You can't. You shall not steal. You shall not falsely with a neighbor deal. You shall not covet anything another yields. The final three aim to defeat deceit and greed from polluting our souls. For Satan prowls and patrols looking for ways to circumvent our covenant's hold on sin. To desecrate and condemn the precepts protected by the ten. So may this people cry out for all that is holy and true. Everything the Lord has spoken we will do. For it's the same today for me and for you. Everything the Lord has spoken, we will do. We're still called to obey like those wandering Jews. Everything the Lord has spoken, we will do. For we are the royal priesthood. We are the chosen few. Everything the Lord has spoken, we will do. So let the ten spoken then begin again from me and you. And say it with me if you choose. Everything the Lord has spoken, we His people will surely do. Everything the Lord has spoken, we will do. He's the Lord brought the children out of Egypt. He's the Lord who delivered us from sin. He's the Lord who rescued us out of darkness and brought us into His marvelous light. He's the Lord who gave us a second chance. He's the Lord who loved us enough to send His one and only Son. Everything the Lord has said, we will do. (coughs) The problem comes. When we want to take God off His right throne and we want to sit there ourselves. I mean, let's be honest, right? We don't like or want to be told what to do, not even by God. And before we leave this point, I have to point out a pattern that's developing already in these first two books of the Bible. It's a recurring theme that it will be underscored week after week after week. And that is that mankind will try to do what's right. They will say they love God more than anything else, but when push comes to shove, they will cave, they will fold, they will sin. Adam and Eve disobeyed and ate the fruit of the tree. After the flood, the righteous man named Noah gets drunk and in Genesis 9 talks about his indecent exposure. Moses, this man that we see as a tremendous leader, now a man of faith, is going to have a huge struggle with pride in the chapters to come. And at this point in the story, God's laying the foundation that regardless of who you are or how many you lead, we're all sinful. We all will disappoint. And that in and of ourselves, we will never measure up in the flesh. It's impossible. And so God continues to build a case for our need for a Savior. You might say, Preacher, you know, I'm not such a bad person. I mean, if you were to come to my family reunion, you'd see. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm really close to God compared to some of those folks. Or if you come to my workplace, then you'd know for sure that I'm a saint <laughs> compared to those people I work around. But someday when you stand before God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who brought the Israelites out of Egypt, the only God, that God, He's not going to compare you to your co-workers in the cubicles. He's not going to compare you to your family members. He's going to compare you to one person, and that's Jesus Christ. He's the perfect Son of God. Heaven is a perfect place. So, as I said back in chapter 1 of our story, we really do have an earthly dilemma that needs and begs for a heavenly solution. 
And the New Testament book of James, second chapter, 10th verse says, For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. Think of it like this. It doesn't matter if a window has 10 holes or one hole. It needs to be fixed. You need a new window. doesn't matter if you break one commandment or you break nine of the commandments. You still need a new window if something has been broken. And the Ten Commandments are like a wedding ceremony. God is choosing Israel as His bride. And so they exchange vows with one another. He promised that there would be a, a nation. He made the nation. He delivers them out of Egypt. He has been faithful and now He's asking Israel to be faithful. And so let me ask you a question. Why did God give the law? Why did God give these Ten Commandments? Now the answer may shock you, but here's the answer. God gave the commandments to show that we couldn't keep them. <laughs> he made them so that we couldn't keep them. He knew we wouldn't be able to keep them. He, un- he wanted us to understand that we're the creation. He is the Creator. That He is perfect. We are sinful. So why is that such an important lesson to learn? Well, the answer is found in what you studied this week in the book of Exodus. Our God is a jealous God. He wants our devotion. He wants our commitment. He wants our obedience. But because we have this sin weaving in our flesh, we struggle. We struggle. Harold, I'm not going to worship a golden cow. I mean, come on. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. But wait a second. The command number two says graven images. What about command number one? God starts with that for a reason because if you get this one right, the others fall into place. There shall be no other gods before me. So that means the salary that you're pursuing can't be more important than God is. Where you live can't be more important than He is. Family cannot be more important than He is. Viewing a certain sport during a certain month of the year can't be more important than He is. So learn a lesson from the 3,000 dead Israelites that if you side with God, He expects loyalty. He expects commitment. And our response should be everything the Lord says, we will do. But God doesn't just want us to say that. He wants us to mean it. Over 400 years after this incident with the golden calf, Jewish patriarchs were still reminding the nation of Israel about this story. In fact, in Psalm 106, David actually refers to it, recounts how God rebuked the Red Sea and dried it up. He rebuked the Red Sea. I like that. God said, See! Be like going, well, I thought that's what our... Yeah, never mind. Verse 19, Psalm 106. At Horeb they made a calf and worshipped an idol cast from metal. They exchanged their glorious God for an image of a bull which eats grass. They forgot the God who saved them, who had, gone, who had done great things in Egypt, miracles in the land of Ham, and awesome deeds by the Red Sea. Verse 20. 
They exchanged their glorious God for an image of a bull which eats grass. And what the psalmist is saying is, how did you trade that for this? Why would you make such a trade? Why would one choose a cow over our glorious God? It's a fair question. Why would you let a relationship? Why would you allow a hobby? Why would you allow a paycheck, a friendship, a family member become more important than knowing and following and obeying a perfect God, the God of the universe, who loves you unconditionally and gave His one and only Son for you? It's a ludicrous trade if you think about it. (laughs) And yet, like the Israelites who praise God one day and live like the devil the next, we too make foolish trades on a regular basis. Well, at least I know I do. And God gave the Ten Commandments to show me my need for Him. God gave the first commandment to show me my need for Him. Very quickly, let me cover one other area. While Moses is on the mountain, God announces some big news. He says, I want to be with my people. I want to be where you all are in the camp with you. So the second thing that he tells them is, there needs to be a place for God to dwell. A place for God to dwell. Exodus 25, 8 and 9, God instructs Israel to construct a sanctuary. Gives them very specific directions about that sanctuary, how it should be arranged, the dimensions, and so forth. But it's like a portable church. It's like this huge tent for worship. But it is portable. It's not permanent. It's not a permanent structure. So don't confuse it with the temple which will be built hundreds of years later. Sometimes this tent in the Bible is referred to as the tabernacle. But inside the tabernacle was the Ark of the Covenant. Do you know what was inside the Ark of the Covenant? It was a wood chest. It was four feet long by two feet uh, and a half wide. It was covered with gold. And do you know what was in it? Well, if you watched Indiana Jones, you would know what's in there. Ten Commandments that God has handwritten on these tablets, they were in there. And they reside inside the Ark of the Covenant. And God is going to take up residency right in the middle of the camp so these Israelites would know He's there. And He can be right there in the midst of them, just like He can be right there in the midst of you. If you let Him. Israelites did repent. They begged for forgiveness. Moses steps up and begs for forgiveness. Exodus 34, 8 and 9. Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshipped, O Lord, if I have found favor in Your eyes, then let the Lord go with us. Although this is a stiff-necked people, forgive our wickedness and our sin and take us as Your inheritance. Then the Lord said, I am making a covenant with you. That's very important. I am making a covenant with you before all your people. I will do wonders never before done in any nation in all the world. The people you live among will see how awesome is the work that I, the Lord, will do for you. Obey what I command you today. Do not worship any other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. And Moses says, let the Lord go with us. He invites God to come into the presence of the camp. What about you? Are you inviting God to come in live in you? Are you inviting God to come into your camp, into your tabernacle, into your presence? He didn't making a contract with Moses. He's making a covenant with Moses. Big difference. Big difference. God is saying very crystal clear that your allegiance is to me and to nothing else 
and to no one else. So what does this have to do with me today, you might be saying? Good question. From every single page of the Bible, from every theme in the Bible, from every, every thought in the Bible, comes this. We are a sinner in need of forgiveness from a God that loves us and sent His Son Jesus to die for us. That's why it's important. The Israelites needed it. And the whole Lord, you and I need it. We need it today. Christ rebuilds. He redeems. He restores. Pray with me, would you? Lord, our intent is to say yes to you. Everything the Lord has said, we will do. We know we'll fail, but we ask you to help us make that our heart's desire to please you, to worship you, to be obedient to you. God, will you help us to that end? In Jesus' name, amen.